0: Let's all stand. Lord, thank you for the work that you're doing in and through us. We thank you for um, blessing the outreach yesterday at the Beatty's, for the Beatty's opening up their house. We thank you, Lord, for the many um, seeds that were planted, God. Your gospel going forth, and uh, we cling to the promise, Lord, that your uh, word does not return void. It is planted um, in many, many, many hearts yesterday, God. And I pray that it would... um, bear much fruit. I pray that you'd um, keep the enemy from stealing that seed, Lord. It'd be planted on good soil and uh, would be on um, soil that grows, Lord, that you would water it and that there'd be a harvest, God. We thank you, God, that your word is true, that um, it is the standard for our life. God, thank you that we can come here today uh, to worship you, to seek you, to commune with you, Lord. And we thank you that we can do that uh, with our brothers and sisters um, who claim you as well, God, and profess that you are their Lord and Savior. So bless our time, Lord. Um, be with us. We love you. Amen. Turn to Acts chapter 4, verse 23. It says, When they were released, referring to some of the apostles, "...against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word... With all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Um, If we're not careful, uh, we can take our Bibles for granted. And here we have access to the very Word of God. The Bible does not contain the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God. And it is here that we can find everything we need to live a righteous life before the Lord. And it deals with all of life's ails. The answers are here, right here. Um, You want to know how to raise your kids? The Bible. You want to know how to be a good boss? Read the Bible. You want to know how to be a good employee? Read the Bible. You want to know how to love your wife? Read the Bible. Um, If we would do this and then live it out, many, 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 many ails in the church uh, would not occur. Um, Here's the thing. Many lives were given to, to get you this English Bible. Did you know that? Many lives. William Tyndale uh, was one of the key people in getting the Bible first translated into English. Okay, a couple went before him John Wycliffe, John Huss. And the thing is this he wanted every person to have access to the scriptures in their language, which was unheard of at the time. At the time, it was in Latin. In fact, It was a law that if anyone possessed an unlicensed copy of the scriptures in English, they were sentenced to death. Just for having a copy of the Bible in English. So what happened to him? He was arrested, jailed, and convicted of heresy. And what did they do? They executed him by strangulation. Then they burned his body at the stake. Uh, But it is men like him that had a boldness for the gospel that were undetoured in getting the word out to people. Uh, In fact, if it wasn't for him and Wycliffe and others, um, I don't think we'd be here. Because they did um, what many at the time were unwilling to do, and they risked it all for the sake of the gospel. Here's what Tyndale said. Evangelion, what we call the gospel, is a Greek word signifying good, merry, glad, and joyful news that makes a man's heart glad and makes him sing, dance, and leap for joy. That's the gospel. Anyone who's experienced that personally, who's responded to faith in the gospel, can relate well to what Tyndale said true? This is what one author said regarding Tyndale's quote. What a world we live in that something so happy would be so hated. I mean, think about it. I mean, the gospel, it is good. It literally means good news, and it is good news. I mean, to be saved from the wretched state that we're in, and yet the world hates it. It is such a simple truth but it keeps many, many people from the kingdom, their unwillingness to admit that they cannot do it. Um, I know Lauren talked to a couple people yesterday, and um, a, a couple of them said, what was the refrain and what was keeping them back from the gospel? The belief that good works would do it. The belief that good works would get them in. Uh, my own father believed that, for many, many, many years, it was about good works. It's a mistaken gospel to think that. Okay? You receive the gospel, you get the good news, your life is changed. right? And as a result of the transformation, you live for the Lord. Good works come from being saved, not to be saved. So the gospel entails risk. And the light of the gospel was dimmed to man for many years because of this perversion of the gospel in the church, quite honestly. Martin Luther and others took the gospel and showed the world how bright it really was. And what has happened since then for the last, actually this is the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, 1517, right? The 95 Theses nailed to the uh, church door others have come and perverted the gospel they have tried and paul hits at this uh when he's talking in galatians about the other gospel right and there's two words in greek you can use for other and he talks about some are preaching another gospel and this gospel that greek word indicates something completely different than what is the original And that's why he says it's no gospel at all. Because there's only one true gospel. And even to speak of a false gospel is to almost um, speak in nonsense because um, there's only one truth when it comes to the gospel. And to start to change it, you really don't even have the gospel any longer. It's no longer the gospel. You really need to come up with a completely um, different name for it. Um, so, we need to stick to the truth of the gospel. And, uh, and our task, what we've been tasked with, each one of us here, is we're building on the foundation. Okay. 1 Corinthians 3. Look there for uh, a second. Keep your place in Acts 4 because we're coming back. But 1 Corinthians 3, I want you to see this. In verse 10, he says this According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. When someone else is building upon it, let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day, will disclose it. It will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. So we're building on it. What's the foundation? Jesus Christ Himself. All right? And now all those materials listed there: gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, some are better than others. Would you rather have gold or straw? Silver or hay? Alright, I'll take the silver and the gold. You can place it right up here. <laughs> so when when we go turn back to Acts, when we look at this text in Acts. We're going to see a few things that are key to sharing our faith. The apostles wanted the word to go forth, and they wanted to share it faithfully everywhere. But opposition arose. But the thing is this, they were not deterred. Okay? The opposition didn't deter them. So here's the first key when it comes to sharing our faith, is knowing what or who we're up against knowing what or who we're up against. It is helpful to know what we will encounter or who we will encounter when we share our faith. Okay. Ignorance only makes us more easily fooled and discouraged, and we can end up coming upon a situation, and we're caught off guard, and we don't know what to do. So knowing full well what we will encounter allows us to be prepared for what we encounter. What was the early church up against? Well, he says it right there in verse 27. Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, the peoples of Israel, basically everyone. From top on down, they're all against the apostles. And you know what? We have the same opponents today. From the top on down. We have our own Herods, our own Pontius Pilates, our own Gentiles, and peoples of Israel. They stand against us wanting to spread the gospel. But here's the thing. We have to know who the real enemy is, and that's Satan. And listen to me, friends. Um, Each one of you here, if you're a believer, even if you're not, um, you are in his sights, and his target is on you. And he is squeezing that trigger to take you out. And he will take you out time and time again with shot after shot after shot. And he is quite a good aim. All right? So you are in his sights. He is the one that is the real enemy. Yes, the Herods and the Pontius Pilots, uh, the, the, the peoples of Israel, the Gentiles. Um, but Satan is the real enemy. And guess what? He cares nothing for you. Nothing at all for you. He will do to you whatever he possibly can do that God allows. So this is a spiritual fight, and the battle is not against flesh and blood. Think back to Ephesians 6, right? What are we fighting against? Cosmic forces, spiritual authorities, against this present darkness, against the rulers, All right, all of that is going on in the heavenlies, and if we could just, but have our spiritual eyes open for just a split second, I think we'd be blown away. Okay, we get so focused on the tangible and the physical that we forget there's a whole other realm out there, the spiritual, and battles are being waged. Battles are being waged in your own lives, spiritual battles. So, it's a spiritual fight. Guess what that means? We got to do spiritual battle, which means we need spiritual armor. Okay? The armor of God, Ephesians 6. So, listen, um, we need to fight for this dying world. People are going to hell. I don't know about you, that bothers me. All right? I know people in hell, and I don't like to think about that. Um, But if I really believe this, then as much as it pains me to think about it, it's true. And guess what? I don't want people to go to hell. It's really that simple. I'm <clears throat> it, it, it is, when you read about what hell is like, it is very, very disturbing. And it never ends. It never ends. So the enemy is real. He's Satan. And guess what? He doesn't want you sharing your faith. He wants this Word of God closed up and put away and put on the shelf. He wants it to get dust on your bookshelf. He wants it in the backseat of your car under piles of other things. He wants you to forget about it. He wants you out of it. He wants you to ignore it. Why? Because this, right here, folks, is God's Word. And it's what changes lives. What is Satan? He's the tempter. And I think that's how most often we think of Satan. Because he tempts us and he tempts us and we're tempted to do this sin or tempted to do that sin, tempted to say this, tempted to say that. Um, but he's also the accuser. Okay, Some of those negative thoughts you sometimes have, that might be self-doubt. Um, but it might be Satan. He's the accuser of the brethren. And accuses and accuses and accuses and wants you to feel like Uh, a pile of junk. He does. So he will uh, whisper and whisper and whisper in your ear. And guess what he also is? He's the deceiver. And guess what? If I came up to you and said, hey, I think you're deceived, what are you going to say to me? No, No, I'm not deceived. Right? Because if you really thought you were deceived, you'd stop being deceived. (laughs) Right? Right? that's the thing about deception. We don't know that we're being deceived. And so Satan whispers in our ears all sorts of lies to deceive us. Whispers lies to create um, factions in the church. Whispers lies about our spouse to us. I mean, all sorts of things. Whisper, 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 whisper. He's doing that. And he does the same. When it comes to sharing our faith, all sorts of lies that he will whisper to us. You know, it's not your place to share with that person. Uh, you can wait till the next opportunity to share with them. Lie after lie after lie. It's going to ruin your relationship with them. Lie after lie after lie. He will whisper to you. Okay. So know this, and guess what? Rebuke the enemy rebuke him. Um, Even today, during worship, I felt like the enemy was whispering in my ear. I asked the Lord to rebuke him. He has no place in our lives. So, know who the real enemy is. The second key is acknowledge that God is in control. We need to trust him, and guess what? We have to open our mouth. Trust him and open our mouth. Listen, God has this. Look what he does in verse 28. They're talking about all these people that are against the gospel message, and he says in 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. They've all gathered against the apostles, and they're saying, Lord, you've got this. You knew this was going to happen. You knew we were going to be right here. And we trust you. You are a sovereign God. You are in control of the affairs of men. Look, look at uh, 25 and 26. He's quoting Psalm 2 here. And notice the parallels. If it didn't um, jump out to you earlier. Verse 25, he says, Why did the Gentiles rage? What, is, what do they mention when they're praying in uh, 27 about the Gentiles being against them? Then in... Uh, 25, the people's plot in vain. They're mentioned again at the end of verse 27, the peoples of Israel. Verse 26, the kings of the earth set themselves. Well, who's the king back then? King Herod, right? In verse 27. And then verse 26 talks about the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. And then Pontius Pilate, a ruler of his time, is mentioned. What is... Luke trying to do here. He's seeing this psalm fulfilled in their day. So David's writing this way before, and here it is coming true. It is coming true. They're seeing it firsthand fulfilled in their midst. Guess what? It's being fulfilled today in our midst. All right, this psalm is still occurring. Is anything different? No, the Gentiles' rage, the people's plot, the kings of the earth are against God. The rulers gather together against the Lord's anointed. And what do we do? We trust. And we open our mouth. Guess what? God is still in control. He is still doing what his hand and his plan have predestined to take place. That's what the verse says. And I believe it. God's purpose always prevails. It did with Jesus, right? That wasn't plan B. That was plan A. It did with the apostles. And guess what, friends? It will with us. His purposes will prevail. What does the enemy try to do? He opposes Jesus. What happens? He fails. What does he try to do with the apostles? He opposes them. What happens? He fails. What does he do to the early church? Opposes them. What happens? He fails. Time and time again. Guess what? The gates of hell will not prevail. So stand strong. What does this mean for us today? It means this. We can't sit back and take it easy. We just don't sit around doing nothing. We don't get complacent. But that's what some of us have been doing. We cannot take for granted the sovereignty of God and we cannot presume upon it. The fact that God is in control should encourage us to push forward and not fall back. So we can't presume, we can't take lightly, we cannot show contempt upon the goodness of God for us. Look at Romans chapter 2, verse 3. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your hardened and penitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render each one to each one according to his works. We don't want to be like this person right here and treat God's goodness to us lightly and take advantage of it. Treat it flippantly. Have no regard for it. God is good to us. Amen? Very, very good to us. I mean, we got cars and houses and people are going to eat after church out somewhere at a restaurant. I mean, God has blessed us physically with so much. We're Probably the most blessed nation in the world at this point. Blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. Um, But that's not an excuse for us just to live it up in the life of luxury. We need to use all of those things. I mean, you know, that bounce house yesterday that they rented, guess what? That costs money. And the food that was provided, that costs money. But guess what? We have the resources in America to do stuff like that. And so we do it. We use it. We don't want to have a flippant attitude when it comes to God's sovereignty. Just like a, uh, God will do it at some point. When it comes to the salvation of souls, people are too valuable to take that approach. Just a, uh, it'll happen. I mean, we don't do this in other key areas of our life. You know, with your kids schooling, uh, it'll happen. Right? We make some plans. You lose your job. You need a new one. Uh, it'll happen. No. We're filling out internet application after internet application after internet application after internet application. All right? We do something about it. It's the same with the gospel. If we just take an, uh, it'll happen. Sometime I'll share my faith. Guess what? It won't happen. It just won't. Um, it kind of caught me a little off guard with the evangelism book that we just went through in our life groups when he talked about sharing our faith being a spiritual discipline. And one of the reasons it caught me off guard was because I've read a number of books on spiritual disciplines, and I've never seen that mentioned before. Never seen it mentioned. But as I started to chew on it and have continued to chew on it, Um, I mean, one of the key lifebloods of a believer would be wanting to tell other people about our Lord and Savior. I mean, that seems like it would be kind of essential. And so I've come to agree uh, with the author from that evangelism book. I mean, it's a discipline. And we talked about it in our life group. Well, why is it a discipline? Because you have to be disciplined to do it. Right? I mean, you have to come up with some kind of routine or some kind of plan, else it won't happen. You'll fall back into the, uh, it'll happen. If you're not gospel-focused and looking for those opportunities, then they will slip by, and you won't even know that they were there in the first place. That is what will happen. Look at Matthew chapter 3. In verse 7, It says, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. That's what... The very Jews were doing back then, presuming upon their lineage, really. Oh, we got Abraham, we're good. They were presuming on something that they shouldn't have on. Jesus is driving straight to the point. It's not about what's gone before or what anyone else has done, it's about what you're doing. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That's great that you got Abraham, he's saying. Uh, there needs to be evidence that you really are of Abrahams. And, and here is one key thing I think it com- when, when it comes to sharing our faith. Here's what I think many of us don't do it. Is one word, boldness. Boldness. We are lacking boldness. I mean, think about it just for a second. If you had boldness... You'd share. Why? Because you'd be bold, and you would do it. And it's that that tepidness that pulls us back. There's a simple answer. There's a simple solution. We ask the Lord for boldness. We ask him. This is what they're doing back in Acts. And now, Lord, verse 29, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. I mean, this is what they're praying. And now, Lord, they're addressing him, kurios, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. That's what they're praying. Lord, give us boldness. Notice what they didn't say. Look upon their threats and remove them. Look upon their threats and destroy them. Look upon their threats and protect us. No. What do they ask? Look upon their threats and let us speak your word with boldness. Why that focus? Because the important thing was not their protection. The important thing was not their protection. The important thing was not the removal of their enemies or the destruction of their enemies. But the important thing was the word continuing to go forth. That was the important thing. Listen, if God destroyed all his enemies, guess what? There wouldn't be anybody to share with. Right? They'd all be dead. So our problem is this. Too often, all of you and me, we ask for lighter loads instead of stronger backs. We want our loads lessened. Lord, if you just did this, then I'll share. Lord, if you just do this, then I'll share. I mean, we got all these reasons. And what are those reasons? We're asking the Lord to lighten the load. Instead, we need to ask the Lord to strengthen our back. Strengthen our back, God. Whatever you put, I will bear it, and I will do it. Strengthen my back, Lord. So we need to ask for boldness. Boldness. Not removal of obstacles, our first prayer is for boldness. Because if we have the boldness, the obstacles won't be a problem. Why can I say that? Because it wasn't, I mean, if anyone was going to be stumbling, it would have been the apostles in the first century with all the obstacles put before them. Death itself. And if the uh, threat of death did not hold them back, then the threat of someone laughing at us should not hold us back. So boldness should be sought out. Look what happens. They pray for it in verse 29 and verse 31. It's answered. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So we seek him for it, diligently, diligently, We seek him. Repeatedly, we seek him. Unashamedly, we seek him. Now, I don't know if you've ever been been in a situation before and tried to muster up boldness on your own. Doesn't go so well. It really doesn't. Um, You can't pick yourself up by your bootstraps and hope boldness will just come. Um, It's it's it just doesn't work. You want to know why? Because it's drawn from an external source the Holy Spirit. He is the one that will embolden you. The key to having boldness is the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what we're commanded in Ephesians 5, right? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a command. And here, the early church, they want boldness, and they ask for it. And what does God do? What is his answer? Look back at verse 31, because you can miss it And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? The first part, when they had prayed. Okay? So they pray. They finish praying. What does God do? He shakes the place. Like, I heard you. Then what does he do? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? And what's the result? They continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Listen, I've been in in many situations where I'm like, Lord, I'm I'm, I'm praying this prayer, Lord, make me bold. Make me bold. I don't know what I'm doing here, what's going on. Make me bold. Okay, and what is the result, really? The the Lord fills me with his spirit to be bold in that situation. It is a cry, a boldness is a cry to be filled with the spirit. Listen, there's always going to be opposition Always. Satan is working overtime. Time and time again, we see this in the apostles' lives. Opposition, but guess what? Then boldness. Opposition, and then boldness. Look at First Thessalonians 2, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. First, there's opposition. they got to make a choice. What are they going to do? Are they going to tuck their tails and run? Or are they going to stay and move forward? There's only two options, boldness or cowardice. Guess what? Opposition occurs, we rely on the Lord and we ask him for the boldness. He fills us with the Spirit, and then we see God work. So believe, truly believe the Lord will work through you as you witness. You need to believe. That's the fourth key thing. Believe the Lord will work through you. Look what he says back in verse 30 of Acts 4. They're praying, Lord, stretch out, stretch out, Um, your hand to heal. We're doing our work, God. What are we doing? We're going to continue speaking your word with boldness. And what are you doing, Lord? Verse 30, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. We are faithful to what he asks us to do. And then he is faithful to what he has promised to do. If you are faithful, he will be faithful. He will use you. He will work through you. I was reading an article the other day about a man um, and what he went through to share with his grandfather. Um, His grandfather was um, somewhat of a well-known, famous French actor, uh, Georges Licon, and he was an atheist. And when this um, guy writing this article first got saved, um, he talks about... I grew up with my grandpa, and he taught me French, and we went fishing and hunting and these different things, and then I got saved, and my atheist grandpa was like, what's wrong with you, basically? Because he shared with him, right? Um, and so over the years, you know, he's living in, in, in France, and this guy's in America. Um, he, he finds out that, that he's sick, so he gets on an airport, um, or goes to the airport to get on an airplane um, to go see his grandpa before he passes away. And so he says, um, talking about his grandpa, he had lived a life where it seemed he was always able to take care of himself. He had wealth, fun, and fame. The idea of Christ was as foreign as it was intrusive to him. So he gets to the um, hospital, and he's trying to find just a couple minutes with him and his, and his grandpa, and um, his grandpa only speaks French, and his French is really rusty. And so he's like, I, I'm not even going to be able to really have a conversation with my grandpa. I can hardly even speak it anymore. And so <clears throat> he decides that he's just going to read um, Bible verses to his grandpa. So he says, um, I prayed, and finally I had about ten minutes with him. I thanked him for the years we had together Then I picked up a French Bible and started reading it to him. I didn't know what else to do. I was weak and nervous, but he needed to hear. Grandpa, I'm gonna read you the Bible. I wanted him to hear of God's wrath, which he deserved from his holy God and creator, for his life, um, for excuse me, for his sin. And I wanted him to hear of God's mercy, which God provided in the person, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I read him a number of different passages. Afterwards, I encouraged him to turn to Christ for forgiveness. It was silent. In a weak weak murmur, he said he had to use the restroom. Pretty anticlimactic. Though he hoped to get to the restroom, he could barely sit up to use the bedpan. Then I saw one of the rarest sights in the world. My grandpa cried. You have to understand that this was a man who never cried, ever. He was at the top, the chief, the jovial proud and self-sufficient Georges Licon. by standing there in the humiliation of a broken body and a half-tied hospital robe, my grandfather wept. Not much was said. He didn't leap out of his bed. The cancer did not fly from his bones. He did not ask to be baptized in in his hospital tub. A minute later, some family and nurses came in. They saw the tears. No one said anything. Soon I was back on a plane. His health declined. A few weeks later, he entered eternity. Now, this this writer of the article uh, was faithful to deliver the message, wasn't he? He was faithful, and he found a way, in spite of obstacles, uh, to deliver it. So the article goes on. Um, His grandfather passes away. He says, I hopped back on a plane and returned to France. His funeral was a high mass in a centuries-old, dark, cold French Catholic cathedral uh, in the Laura Valley. Old actor friends poured in from around the country. The priest did his thing. I was allowed to say a few words and share the gospel. I mean, again, this guy was faithful to deliver the message. Um, Listen, I couldn't have delivered such a message at my own father's funeral but I made sure that someone did share a clear, a crystal clear gospel presentation at my father's funeral. Because I wanted everyone there, which there were many unsafe people there, to hear that presentation. Maybe the only time they might ever hear that. Friends that I did not know of my dad's came to his funeral. And um, I encourage you, as your parents get older, and you find yourself burying them, which you will, uh, to make sure a clear gospel presentation is given at their funeral. Um, if the only way it can happen is you doing it, then you better step up and make it happen. These lives are on the line. I understand you have an obligation to your parents. Um, there's an also an obligation to the Lord and what he calls you to do. Uh, the story ends. <clears throat> There's a reception afterward. And then it says, His nurse, who was with him daily until his death approached, um, came to me with tears in her eyes. She said, I don't know what you said to your grandfather when you were there three weeks ago, but after you left, he was a changed man. He told me, my grandson showed me the way. Now, we don't always get to hear the happy ending of the story, right? Right? And maybe it's not always happy. Um, We're not responsible with the response of the hearers. We're responsible to make sure they hear. right? So this gentleman, this writer of the article, I mean, three different times he was faithful to share to his grandpa when he first got saved, um, to his grandpa on his deathbed, and, and at the funeral. And listen to me, friends. It is never too late. For anyone, there's a famous Latin saying, um, Dum Spiro, Sparo. Any of my Latin students know that? Dum Spiro, Sparo? It's while I breathe, I hope. While I breathe, I hope. Um, while there is breath in a person, there is hope for salvation. So don't lose heart. Um, listen, the enemy can get us down sometimes. He can get us down real good. I get that. We've got to rebuke him, and we've got to keep going. Let's not let him slow us down anymore. Because guess what? Um, he might have some power, but he does not have all power. That is God, and God's alone, and he is sovereign, and he's in control. And it does take a boldness for us to share our faith, to take usually it's that like first five or ten seconds, if we can just take that little step, open up that door, we're in. And we can share. But That boldness comes from the Father through the Spirit. And if, we, if you're not feeling bold, ask the Lord. Trust me, I ask Him for boldness a lot. And He answers. So we're called to join Him in His work. And listen, idleness is not the way of his children. He wants us to work. And sharing our faith can be hard. I understand. It's hard for me. Um, the more I share, um, it, the, the easier it gets. But it never gets easy, at least for me. All right? If I'm sharing and sharing, it gets, it gets easier. Um, but for me, it never gets easy. Um, but we have to do it. And I do it. Because I love my Lord. I do it because I really do love my neighbor as myself. And if, I, if the roles were reversed, I would want the message preached to me. And I wish, <clears throat> well, I did have the message preached to me a number of times over and over again growing up. Um, I wish I would have responded earlier. And I'm sure many of you that got saved later in life wished the message would have come sooner. So let's be faithful. We cannot just take a, eh, it'll happen approach. And I believe, I actually believe that God wants to use everyone in this room to share the gospel with at least one person. In the next month. That's what I believe. I believe that. Um, I'm going to give you a chance in a second to commit to doing that with me. Just one person in the next 31 days. For some of you, you'll probably be done with that by the end of today or tomorrow. But others of you, I understand. It'll be day 30 and you'll have put it off. Okay, I get it. Um, Sometimes we need to be pushed a little. Sometimes we need to be challenged a little. And um, once a month, that's not too much for the Lord to ask us to do, for any of us. All right, listen. Hey, I am not Mr. Extrovert, okay? Um, I know I'm up here behind the pulpit, right? Speaking for however long I do. Um, That is more a work of God then you know, all right, (laughs) trust me. Um, So I lean towards the introvert side. I can get it out of my shell, sure. Um, But I lean towards the introvert side. So I know you introverts in here, um, that freaks you out, especially to the thought of of opening your mouth and sharing. Um, Usually the best times in my Christian walk are when I'm being faithful to share the gospel with people. I don't know if you've experienced that yourself, but that is at least my personal experience is when I'm being faithful to share, God's, God. you know why? Because for me, I have to rely on him like 150% to share. And I know it, it is none of me when it happens and it is all of Jesus, all right? If you want to see God do an amazing thing, come see him, um, you know, use me to share with someone, because it's not me at all, all right? I'm in 150% reliance upon him to do it. And uh, the inside of me is usually freaking out every single time, OK? So I'm not trying to make it look like it's easy. Um, it's not. But I do think it's something we can do. Um, I know it's something we can do. So I encourage you. Um, to make that commitment with me. Let's pray. Lord, every person here more than likely is here to be someone shared with them. And someone was faithful, whether it was a parent, a teacher, a friend, a co-worker. Um, you've brought us here, God. And um, you had someone be bold to share with us. Lord, make us bold. I pray that for each person here. That you would make us bold witnesses for you, God. I thank you, God, yesterday for the life group and other people that helped out at the Beaties for them being bold to share the gospel. It really does take boldness to do that, God. So, God, make us bold. Um, If you are going to commit with me, my brothers and sisters, in the next month to share with one person, would you raise your hand? One person. All right, thank you. God, many, 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 many hands went up. Um, Your gospel is going to be shared 50 to 100 times, at least, by this church. the next month. 50 to 100 seeds, Lord, planted. Um, Make those divine appointments. Let us have a discipline about it in sharing God. Um, Some of us need to walk out of our comfort zone, Lord. Some of us need to be shoved out of our comfort zone. Um, Do that, God. Um, Let us not be complacent with this. Lives are at stake, God. The building is burning and we are the firefighters to rescue the lives inside the building. So do that, God, I pray. Over the next month, um, we would hear these stories. There's no failures in witnessing for you, God. They are always a success if we depend upon you, rely upon you and speak for you, God. So I pray for my brothers and sisters and myself as well that you would be with us as we open our mouths and share the hope, of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen.